Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Uh, Today, once again, I'm joined with my good friend Dale Stenberg here, and we are going to have a conversation today about vibes. Uh, Dale and I often, in our conversations, uh, 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 freely and and unashamedly refer to vibes uh, as a great explanatory thing uh, uh, for for all sorts of, basically for all sorts of complicated pieces of reality. And um, we wanted to kind of, uh, you know, bring public why this this term is somewhat useful uh, uh, to us, uh, something we all kind of implicitly understand. And part of the, the complexity of doing that or part of the, the difficulty, of course, is that the term is used in such self-helpy ways, such sent, uh, overly sentimental ways, you know, sort of on Facebook, you know, send good vibes, you know, that sort of thing. Everybody, you know, I guess in your in your witchy communities, maybe they talk about energies or synchronicities or something like that. So there's clearly a kind of superstitious, low-hanging fruit, uh, not particularly uh, uh, enlightened mode of deploying this language of vibes, perhaps. But, but similarly, like with the notion of love, it's not, you know, love is similarly sort of always invoked, always used, always always deployed, you know, love, everything is about love. Uh, and yet uh, there, there's a weird grain of truth uh, in, in the centrality of love that can nevertheless be so sen- sentimentalized. And we don't want to, we don't want to sort of leave uh, the, the theme of love centrality in the hands of its sentimentalizers and reducers any more than, than we want to sort of leave uh, uh, language about vibes (laughs) in the hands of the merely uh, superstitious or some such. In other words, we don't want to let the devil control the discourse about vibes. Uh, So we, you know, we should, we should talk about them because uh, the the reason, you know, everybody understands what you talk, you know, when you talk about somebody putting out a certain vibe or something like this, because we all dwell in this space of kind of interpersonal, interhuman communication that is a little bit mysterious. And where communication sort of is mediated through through words and gestures and these sorts of things, but where nevertheless there's a kind of whole that is communicated from a person to a whole person. Uh, and sometimes, you know, the language of things like vibes <laughs> are sometimes a way of capturing sort of all of those threads coming together uh, and provoking a kind of kind of singular reaction. And, and, and maybe it's important to, to say that, that that space between humans uh, uh, that space between humans is a space that the the Bible is very very interested in uh, mm. and talks about a lot and fills with with uh, with uh, uh, you know the command to love, uh, which is more than but not less than putting out loving vibes in the yes. universe. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, and you know we're in a new month. It's October, so I put my orange shirt on to represent. October vibes. Uh, so in a way, I think that we all sort of get what we're discussing when we use, or, or at least what we're trying to signal towards or gesture towards when we use the language of vibes. So the other night, Joe and I were talking about this and him and I, uh, through our conversation, sort of linked the, the, two, that, the two things that Joe just talked about, love and vibes. There's a sense in which Jesus changed the vibes of all of reality by his incarnation. So when Jesus shows up in human uh, with a human nature and he's born and he lives a life and he says things into reality, it changes the landscape of the rest of history. It makes sense of the era prior to him, and it gives us a fuller understanding of the framework of of reality moving forward. Uh, And his primary message was love, love of God and love of neighbor. So his life emanated, to use another sort of witchy word, a certain energy that is pervading all of reality to this day upon which we all organize our interpersonal dynamics around, which is that we all understand when we're doing something that is what we consider love and what we consider is not love. Uh, And the picture was sort of like, imagine there's a, 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 a river of lava under the tectonic plates of reality, and that's love. You know what it is when it erupts out of the crust and sort of 
the lava resettles into a different uh, structure uh, that we just look at and go, that's something that gets at what's underneath of reality. You're reshaping the surface, as it were. Reshaping the surface, exactly. And that's what Jesus does. So now when we say that's a bad vibe, what we're really doing is saying, I can smell the sulfur of the volcanic eruption of the clearest expression of love, which was the life of Jesus Christ. And that thing right there doesn't comport with what he was saying about love. And we all just sort of recognize it. Um, so I'll stop talking in a second, but that maybe will help us jump a little bit further into what we want to say in terms of vibes. Yeah, I think I think you know when you read the New Testament, it it because really this is really you're right. We are just talking about love, but there's a there's a sense in the New Testament that that love is not to be reduced to just the communication of new information. And of course, everybody already knows that. We know that it's not just uh, uh, information. Uh, Nevertheless, the New Testament regularly assumes that what attracts people to the kingdom of God isn't just a statement that was made, but a a sort of whole person's life that reflects Mm. the life of the Father. So, you know, do your good works before men so that they see your Father and glorify him in heaven. Peter uses the phrase, literally, hasten the day of the coming, and he talks about that in terms of lived godliness, hastening the day in terms of godliness, which is love. Uh, uh, The world will know you, by your love. Uh, and that's, yeah. uh, when we look at what that actually looked like in the early church, and even today, I mean, even today, this is exactly how it still works today. But you look at the early church, and you read something like the epistle to Diognetus, or you you, re- mm. you read something of uh, the, these pagans describing the Christians. And there's something striking about their mode of life that's that's attractive. In fact, this is actually how the Christians advertised themselves for a long time, was just the, the, the weightiness of the injection of love into the human race, that they're sort of uh, creating these little dojos called churches that train people in the art of love to go re-inject it uh, into the broader order. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a, a colonization of the habit of love, in a sense, yes. is the, the, the project of the Christian in the human race. Uh, and that's, a you know, again, that can be sentimentalized and reduced and turned into a John Lennon song and then denuded <laughs> of some of its power. Uh, uh, nevertheless, it, you know, we can't react and not see that that is a significant event. And this is where, you know, somebody like Tom Holland, we've talked about this, Tom Holland's dominion is so significant is that we almost just take for granted how uh, accidental from a historical standpoint this is an, as an injection in the human race. Tom Holland's book, in a sense, you could say is about the injection of the Christian vibe, <laughs> in a sense, in the body politic, which is not to say that it's redemptive. It, it could be peripheral to redemption or sure, kind of sure. the, you know, the, the, the accidental overflow of redemptive act. But nevertheless, it's a real concrete moral force in history that is part, I think if we take the language of period, sorry, P- Peter seriously, uh, uh, that is part of the the final uh, Christian pro- that remains part of the final Christian project. What we are after, if we're post millennialists, not all of us are, but uh, if we right. if we have post millennial or at least optimistic amillennial sympathies, you know, one argument is is that the 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 victory of the Christian gospel is not less than a victory of real love. Uh, uh, and all that that entails being suffused into the human race progressively. Uh, uh, you know, and I, we don't need to be speculative about what that looks like in some epochal fashion, but something like that would seem to be a plausible, a plausible way of construing our mission in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the application of this abstract idea that we're trying to wrap language around the, of vibes. Let me give some practical ways and that it has cashed out for me in just my everyday life. So I've talked about my family a lot on the podcast. Uh, I've got a teenage kid, son and a uh, seven year old daughter. Abigail just had a birthday last month. And you know, uh, like any household, uh, there are negative vibes that are sort of static in the air of the home. And that could come from me 
just having a bad day and being grumpy and sort of walking around moping and feeling bad about myself because I'm a little sissy in a lot of ways. And my son just coming up and saying, hey, dad, is everything okay? And, you know, when he asked me that, I'm like, okay, I'm obviously giving off the impression that things are not okay. And my son is picking up on that. Or my wife, same way, right? Like if she notices that it just seems a little fuzzy in, in the home and things are sort of off kilter, uh, she'll remark on it. And that draws my awareness to the way that I'm carrying myself, my body language, my facial expressions, my tone, my choice of words. Uh, and I try to make a concerted effort to change the vibes. And so what I'll do is I'll just begin singing hymns sometimes, right? Like, and I'll try to get the family caught up into the moment of singing. So my son right now is learning uh, Victory in Jesus on the piano. All right. It's pretty, pretty Baptist-y, but also pretty awesome. Yes, exactly. I love it. Uh, but I hear him practicing in his room. And so the tune is just stuck in my head. So I walk around, Victory in Jesus. And when you just throw that out there into your environment, Yes. You watch the cheeriness sort of settle into the soul of the family members and the whole disposition of the home embodies that cheeriness. Yes. Uh, it's the same way that, you know, um, Joe and I have been talking about courtroom drama movies lately. Uh, a lawyer is trying to communicate a certain attitude when he's when he's presenting a case or when he's defending his client. And that really does matter for the jury on how they like him. So it really is a sort of coming off to others that we we also mean that when we talk about vibes. That's, yeah. What is it that you're coming across as to other people? Yeah. Do, do you come across as someone who is so socially tone deaf that you're not picking up on the vibes of all the rest of the people in the room to where everyone's sort of looking at you like, what's up with this dude? Uh, or can you maneuver in and out of social interactions that that you can present yourself as someone that's open to receiving whatever you have to say and then can work with that. Yeah. And that makes people open up to you and gives you an opportunity to love them, which, yeah. which by love, I mean, turning away from myself towards them in service. That's what I mean when I say love. Right. Um, and this so, is why we both discussed that uh, 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 part of the, the way to uh, fight spiritual warfare is to get a dog because they're great yeah. for invecting, uh, injecting uh, new vibes into the room. And they're a good measure of your vibes if they're going wrong. And this uh, is just uh, Joe's way to convince his wife to get a dog. I'm trying to convince <laughs> my wife to get a dog. I'm telling yes. her it will improve all the vibes. We'll see. I mean, I, I, you know, there's probably right. other things on the list of, uh, you know, in the home that are more important. But, but I will know, say like, this. My dog's been digging holes in my backyard uh, we've tried everything like putting cayenne pepper in the holes to just and he just keeps digging so that actually creates very aggressive vibes in my home so dogs can simultaneously yes um, yeah. this is be, well I, I wouldn't be as harsh a master as you and so well I think, it's true you know, i think i think uh you know i think well, i'm joking um yeah the the example about lawyers is interesting and it brings up a thing that i think we want to you know, there's several points of clarification that are that are kind of necessary to give a full orb picture of what we're talking about here. Um, you know, when you you think of this, there's this old famous Al Pacino film, Injustice for All. It's from the '70s, so I'm going to spoil the ending. And uh, if you haven't seen it, I, I'm sorry. It's you know, it's uh, we're, we're past the uh, the the statute of limitations on you know uh, spoilers. Uh, spoilers. Yeah. Uh, uh, so at the end of this movie, he sort of uh, sort of Al Pacino is a kind of liberal lawyer who's told to defend this this judge that he realizes actually performed the crime. Uh, and he sits before the jury and he realizes in a sort of moment of clarity that everything he's doing with the jury is just mere persuasion. Mm -hmm. All it is, is he basically tells the jury uh, the problem with this justice system is I want to win this case. The uh, prosecuting attorney one wins the, wants to win the case uh and we want to win regardless of the truth like we actually don't care we just yeah. want to win 
Uh, and uh, and then there's a kind of, well, I guess I won't spoil the ending. And then you can go see what happens after that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, the point to make there is, is that there's a way in which um, uh, uh, just like Pascal, Pascal has this beautiful moment in, in Ponce's, I think that's how you say that, uh, where uh, he talks about the imagination. There's a whole section on the imagination and Pascal says something to the effect of, uh, you, you, the imagination is the source of all of my errors, but it's also all that I have. I also can't think of anything outside of the imagination, so I'm stuck a little bit. And vibes are a little bit similar. On the one hand, uh, uh, there's an aspect of the human life and of the in, of one's relationship to to others that, especially if one is attendant to how they come off, uh, especially if one is attendant to it and figures out how they come off. Uh, can be instrumentalized to merely be manipulative. This is what cult yes. leaders do. This is what some uh, preaching techniques can do. This is what advertisement does. This is what the devil knows very well is that you can manipulate through sort of vibe sending, you know. Uh, and in fact, even those who sort of would reject this language very often uh, persuade people through vibes. So you can stand up and say, I'm about the truth and worldview and I don't like the gays and blah, 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 blah. And you can pretend that what you're doing is giving a bunch of reasons that everybody's responding to because they have reasons. What's actually happening is you are projecting an enormous, an enormous soup of vibes that they are mm. absorbing kind of passively because, oh, he made that point and that point and that point and that point, and then whatever else you say, who cares? Uh, uh, and this is, it is a very, very common technique for, for, for persuasion. And so one of the things we would want to say is what a godly, what godly love is, you know, when we're actually coming off a certain way to other persons or cultivating coming off to them more like Jesus uh, would come off to them, inflected, of course, through our own personage. Uh, but as we pursue that, we are pursuing something that it, it moves through the full agency of the full person rather mm. than circumventing their critical faculties. So the goal, the idea here is not just vibing people into the kingdom through sort of Finney-esque manipulation or something yes. like that. It's yes. rather the engagement of the whole person with the beauty, the objective beauty that the 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 the, 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 the kind of the kind of actual nature of their soul is screamingly hungry for, and to shove it in front of them in a whole way that only can be responded to through the critical faculties, through actual faith, through actual personal appropriation that is not you know, about you. Uh, and I, and I yeah. think that's a crucial, I think that's a crucial thing to say, because we, you know, in a way, again, I don't think we can ever be doing less than putting out certain vibes. Uh, yeah. And yet we have to be doing more than that. Uh, yes, um, exactly. And I think that, uh, you know, today we have in the modern age, in the Christian church, we've got a bunch of apologetic ministries and uh, Joe, you're actually teaching a course in Davenant Hall mm. on sort of defending the faith, right? An apologetics yep. course. And I could say a lot of things about sort of carving out space in the intellectual Christian world for like apologetic focused ministries. I think that most of them that I've encountered do it very poorly. Uh, because it's more of a defensive posture that they take to the world. Like, oh, my religion is being undermined, what I believe about human sexuality and flourishing and marriage and all of these other things is being assaulted by the progressives. And that's true. So we need soldiers to sort of throw the armor of God on, grab your sword and run into the battle and lop heads off. And that's apologetics. But I think if you take one of the most famous verses that every apologetics course will reference, uh, which is 1 Peter 3.15, the context of that verse is important to really understand. So, you know, they'll quote 1 Peter 3.15, which says, but in your hearts, honor Christ uh, the Lord as holy, holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, 
those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better for uh, to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Okay, so I think the central point that Peter is making there is that you are going to be asked for the hope that you have. What's going to happen is people are going to come to you and inquire about what it is that's different about you because you seem to have hope. And the only way that people can pick up the aroma of your hope is if you put off vibes that smell like hope or your or your or your 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 coming across to people as one that is full of hope okay what does not look like hope well i don't think someone that runs around screaming at the top of their lungs that fire is consuming everything and if we don't immediately change course to put out the fire then the entire civilization is going to collapse into a a, a heap of smoldering destruction and disorder. That is a person without hope. That is a person that is frantically trying to find something to grab a hold of to save something. Now, we should defend the Christian claims, and that includes saying, there is fire. The Old Testament is full of prophets yep. uh, that were saying, you know, everything is good. Everything is peaceful. Meanwhile, society is collapsing. That's not what I'm advocating for. But what I am advocating for is you should carry around in your person, your entire being, your existence should exude a certain vibe that when people meet you, they go, my goodness, there's something different about that person. He has hope yeah and then and then be ready to give a defense for why you have hope right and so so vibes do play a critical role even in our quote-unquote apologetic ministries is what i'm trying to get across yeah. and i think a couple of things that are worth uh just adding to that really is that i don't think either of us would say for instance that your the the work of the spirit through you thank God, <laughs> is reducible to the vibes we're putting out. We right. might say that the spirit sort of just as the spirit coasts on imperfect sermons through being a temple inside of you that then spreads God's presence to others. So in as much as the, the Holy Spirit sort of, sort, of, sort of moves through the act of Christian love, Christ in us and us in our neighbor, uh, it exceeds, thank God, uh, the perfection of the craft of putting out these vibes. And sometimes mm. the vibe that actually exists in the world is due to him, you know, more than us, you know, mm. in, in some cases, you know, people taking us well and others. That, that verse you mentioned is interesting because it talks about the shame. Uh, you know, they it, it should be kind of obvious. Shame is a kind of public, there's something public about shame. Uh, and it should be obviously shameful when men revile Christians because everybody should be able to look over at the Christians and go, really? Like, that's not, no. Mm. Like, it's pretty obvious that you're the problem here. You know, and I, you know, taking it that way, sometimes, you know, because I, I want to, I think it's important to just kind of keep hammering away at the relationship between truth and love. I, I think there can be the impression, you know, take the apologetics ministry. Sometimes the impression is, okay, well, there really is, you know, and you've already said this, there are things that are burning down. That's true. You know, we can all, you and I think that there's, there's a way in which things are burning down after a certain register, though it's also, you know, I think we'd both say it's also a burning down of love itself. Uh, and mm. so putting out the fire, <laughs> putting out the fire, the water is love, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think is part of what's going to you know, save civilization here. Nevertheless, um, part of what does need to occur, uh, part of what does need to occur if we're, if we're truly love our, our neighbors is to see what is true about them and really internalize it, no matter how sad that is, and about ourselves, not just them, it's not them versus us, but what's true about ourselves and what's true about our, our context, uh, and to feel to feel sad about it and feel compassionate toward them, and that does, that's totally consistent with speaking hard truths and sometimes even speaking harshly, you know, there's, you know, rhetorical context, especially where it's not about the good of that individual. Sometimes you're dealing with a false teacher 
you know, and it's not about the, sometimes it's not immediately about their individual good, it's about the common good. And there's, there's some rhetorical context where harshness and whatever uh, uh, is, is very significant rhetorically and nothing we're saying is, uh, is inconsistent with that. Nevertheless, there can be the impression that all that matters is that the sort of truth was sort of thrown out there. And then it's just, you know, you often hear, so, well, I'm just going to speak the truth and then the Holy Spirit will come along and do his thing and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and I think that there's a, a rejection. Let me let me be more cautious here. I think there can be a rejection of a very significant element of human dominion when we take that posture, because what's being communicated in any speech act is not less than whatever vibe you're putting out. And if you just yeah. say, well, the Holy Spirit will fill in that whole gap, what you're doing just like with just as somebody would be with lazy preaching with lazy communication and lazy living and lazy attitudes about how I make other people feel naturally, you know, given what I put out there, um, you're all you're doing by taking that posture is ensuring that you're going to take up an irreducible aspect of your dominion very, very poorly. Uh, uh, and I think that the Christian, this is really just a Christian statement, I think, you know, it's just a New Testament emphasis. It's the whole person that communicates the message of the gospel. And the New Testament, if you just, if you just take that motif and you read the New Testament, it's very clear constantly in the New Testament that it is whole persons that are responded to. Acts 16, Paul is preaching, like gets thrown in jail and, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't, you know, the earthquake happens, everybody leaves, but Paul doesn't leave. And that's the moment that says, sirs, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It was, well, it was the vibe that Paul put out, caring for this guy he had no reason in that guy's mind to care about, that really was the moment where the spirit cracked him. And then he responded to the whole message and the whole affect of the gospel. Um, yes. and, and, and I think this is one of those areas where, you know, the other, the other critique could be that, you know, everybody's triggered these days. Yep. Everybody's always accusing everybody of microaggressions and whatever, and blah, 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 your vibes, your vibes, your vibes. You know, how could we ever talk about vibes as though that's ever useful? Cause there's somebody that's always going to be complaining about whatever you do. Um, Th that's true. That That's true. You're never going to please everybody. Yes, people are always going to be able to falsely accuse you. Uh, but in the sense that we're talking about it, uh, it, it is somewhat objective, you know, to say, uh, uh, how do you come off to somebody? Uh, here's, here's one thing uh, uh, my good friend Jim Pachta has shared with me, and I think it's very useful. Uh, he would say, you know, if he wants to, if he wants to see how, uh, either he's interpreting someone or how he is uh, uh, interpreted by others, the question to ask is, how do I come off to you? Or, uh, hey, X person, and you do this with somebody you trust not to be gossipy, but it's like X person right. comes off Y way to me. Do they come off that way to you? And if the answer to that is no, then it might be that you are the problem. And if the answer yes. is no, 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 and you're the only person with the problem with this person, you know, there's a significant increase that that's not a public vibe they're putting out. That's a vibe in you that you're projecting, you know, and that's, that's important. And, and the reverse of that is if every, if, if everybody says, Hey, no, you know, the, you know, that you kind of come off as a little cold and heartless every time you speak, you know, speak your, you know, distributed breath mint, you know, pastoral rebukes on Facebook, <laughs> uh, you know, 99% of the people, including godly Christians who can, who meet you think you're this way. So yeah. that's a vibe that's pretty objective. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, I want to, so we're talking about vibes and we're sort of equating that with the way we come across, right? In in interpersonal relationships or dynamics, whatever, the, yep. you go to a cocktail party, how do you carry yourself? What are the things that are emanating from you that people are picking up to where they're forming opinions? Right. And how crucial it is for understanding reality as a whole. Right. So I think that somebody that can sort of nail, I, I think that the deeper that you understand when humans come together in groups, the way that we conduct ourselves with an eye towards what am I coming across as and what are they coming across as 
if you can step outside of the subjective to just notice that this is an objective category that everybody in the room at this point is measuring, whether they're doing that consciously or subconsciously, if you can just recognize that as a phenomena, then you can understand reality a bit better. And I think the people that can tap into that sort of sub layer of lava of love that we talked about at the beginning to recognize love as they see it sort of imposing itself on the structure of uh, where we move around in, then you, you appreciate what we're all engaged in as humans. You become more empathetic or sympathetic empathy in its best form, sympathy in its best form. And this is what I think Lewis was getting at um, when he describes heaven and hell uh, in The Great Divorce. So the people that were more solid could walk around in heaven and interact with things that were there, the grass, the mountains, the air, whereas the people that were visiting heaven from hell uh, the grass hurt their feet. They didn't have a, a, they didn't have an appreciation for reality in the same way. They didn't have an understanding of reality in the same way. And so reality hurt them more. They were more injured by the coal. Uh, not, no, I shouldn't say that. They were injured by um, the edges of reality that people that who, who can see it with a wider vision just understand as the normal. And I think that this gets at the triggering. So you get people that are triggered when they don't understand that that guy over there is not intentionally aiming to harm me by the way that he's communicating or the way he's carrying himself. He probably just doesn't understand what he's doing. So what I'm saying is uh, we should be cognizant of how we carry ourselves. And that means that we realize people sometimes are not cognizant on how they carry themselves. Mm -hmm. And all we're responsible for is being cognizant about the way that we carry ourselves. And we can actually set an example for others to sort of pick up and go, why is it everybody sort of listens when that guy opens his mouth? What is it that is unique about that person that he seems to get along with a whole bunch of different well, communities? Really this just really is human dominion. Like the task of Christian dominion in this world really is, you know, the, the proverbial leaving this world a better place than you found it. And it is, you know, if one could put it this way to inject the love vibes as it were into the, into the whole uh, that, you, that God has given you, you know, the good works he's prepared for you to do prepared for you to, to serve others with And you know, and it's interesting, God, uh, I think one way of getting at what we're saying is that God is the, the union. And this is just sort of a classical motif that we don't really even understand God, uh, but as an object of both our desire and our mind, God is both the supreme good, the most desirable love himself, but also the, the supreme truth that we know you might say as well. But what that means is God's perfections are splayed in the cosmos, not just, you know, across the script of truth, but across the whole world of embodiment and affect and love and relationship and personage. That's where the whole ordinance of God's perfections is communicated. And so it's fitting that the, the perfection of the gospel is communicated, well, ultimately in a person, it's in Jesus, it's not in a script, it's in the, the word made flesh, it's the, it's the union of those. And so in our own selves, it's not just sort of handing out the Bible, which is great, yeah. <laughs> please do so for crying out loud, but, it, but the Bible comes with persons who are enact livers of the word, doers of the word, which is, you know, be true religion. Um, and, and I think What's interesting is that it's 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 the anti-strategy. So another thing that we could th that mm. we could say here is that one could hear all of this and think, okay, what you need to do is get really good at reading the room, and you look at that guy and that guy and figure out how to blah, 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 you know that sort of thing. And in a sense, it's the opposite of that uh, because the thing we're talking about, I think, is so objective that it's not it's not about it's it's not about 
being the guy who can read the room well, like a like a you know like a stockbroker or something like that. Yeah, right. Some people are good at that, and that's good, and it's a good gift that God has given some people that can be used for good, can be used for evil. Uh, but for the most part, actually, if you just press into what is love in the most basic way being an open-hearted person who is patient and kind, a person who looks around the room and what they, wherever they see uh, they can serve others, their heart is leaping to serve others. People mm. who are humble before God and before men and who offer the truth in humility, uh, even when it's difficult to offer, but who are not necessarily strategizing any yeah. more than they are just strategizing to be holy in a very yes. normal, normal way. Uh, and I think that actually those, you know, that's the salt of the earth in a sense. Yes, you know, when that yes brother. You know, um, Joe and I were talking last night. Joe and I talk a lot because we're talkers. Uh, but we were talking last night about, so in my family, um, not just my wife and my children, but with my mom and dad and sister and brother and their families, what I'm very grateful to God for is that all of us are committed to keeping the family together. We're very different. Um, we're very different people, but we're very interested in loving one another. And if you get people that are committed to that project, what eventually emerges is a deep uh, understanding that when we bump heads, because that's just what's going to happen in relationships. There is no relationship without conflict. If the battle cry is love, then you've got the greatest weapon against division that you will ever have. So if you can, t if you can convince people, if you can persuade people that loving one another is the thing that's going to save the world, <laughs> uh then then you're 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 doing something that Jesus did. You are you are in your own dominion taking kingly priestly office as an image bearer taking dominion of the world through the battle cry of love. And this is I I think something that needs to be emphasized in the modern age more than more than previous modern generations. Let's just say that uh, because we can always say this is the most important thing, yeah. uh, but it's always the most important thing. And by love, it's always I'm not, public health crisis. Number one. Yes. Is that we don't love one another yep. enough. The problem with the body politic is it doesn't have enough love in it. And, and I think by love. So some people will hear that and, and they'll go, well, this is just what hippies say. But I'm saying when I use the word love, I'm using it in the context of being able to affirm what Paul says to the church in Galatia, that if you're trying to win God's favor through circumcision, just go ahead and cut the whole thing off. And I'm talking about love in the context of Jesus walking into the temple with people, you know, sort of exploiting their religious uh, sentiments for money and flipping tables. So those two things are a part of the whole algorithm yeah. of and what I mean when I say love. You could almost frame those things as uh, those things which get in the way of love. In other words, what so it's fascinating that Paul frequently, when he talks about false teaching, he frames false teaching as what's going to detract from godliness. That's you know the central commandment of which is love. And so the moment Jesus, and there's more, there's more complexity in this, but what Jesus, yeah. what what Paul sees going on with the Judaizers is the killer of the gospel and therefore of love. Just as Jesus, I think, with the Pharisees, and it reminds me of, uh, I think it's Matthew 21, 43. I'm, I might be getting the verse wrong. But uh, I've mentioned this before in the podcast, but, but, but Jesus says something to the effect to the Pharisees, uh, you know, John came along and you didn't believe him. Uh, but then the, 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 the tax collectors and the prostitutes started repenting. And you still, Jesus says, didn't believe him. 
And what yes. Jesus is sort of driving at is this, hey, guys, he got, you know, those guys that it, it seems as though Jesus is making an argument along the lines of, you know, those guys that you never got to repent. Well, they repented when John came along uh, and you still mm. didn't recognize the kingdom, you know, when it came. Uh, <laughs> um and I think that 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 sort of puts a bow, perhaps, on something that if we're trying to kind of evaluate ourselves here, uh, I think that a principle that you can kind of extract from that exchange with Jesus is we really can't ask, like, if we're asking how we come off, the point is not to become sort of OCD, tweaking your social performance, and that is just self-obsession. Mm. But you can ask yourself something like, what? What do just realistically, just be honest. That's all you got to do. Be slightly honest. What realistically is that person or that group of people just going to read right off the surface of how I am relating to them? That's yep. actually not that hard to figure out. And then you can just ask this follow-up question. How might I, you know, can I create a different impression in them? Is it possible to give a different impression that also communicates the truth I want to communicate? Yeah. And I think once we ask ourselves something like that, it becomes clear, you know, uh, I, I don't, I, I don't think we should be naive about the extent to which the devil's strategy is precisely as, uh, as Lewis, and Lewis points this out all the time, is to divide and conquer. Uh, give the hippies, let the hippies emphasize love, but let the orthodox, you know, always be qualifying, uh, you know, what love is, uh, uh, dismissing it publicly, uh, uh, making fun of sentimentalizing it, mostly making fun of its invocation, uh, uh, mm. because that's a great strategy to, 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 to not asking this question. And I think it's a question we have to ask, how do we actually come off and do we have some power to come off differently? Because if we do, and it is more magnanimous and it is more persuasive, and it would suggest to them, uh, well, let's just take the apologetics thing. When you see the kind of mode of apologetics that is just sort of mic dropping and such and such got owned and all of that, the question becomes, are you giving any signal that you actually feel a burden for their glory, not just, yeah. the, and that's not just you speaking the truth and saying that you do. Does anybody listening to you actually feel like you do? Anyone, Christian or non-Christian, do you come off as somebody that just likes owning people in public, or do you come off as somebody that really feels the burden of souls? Uh, and is that communicated through your rhetoric and through what your uh, 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 through what your body language out? and everything? Yeah, yeah, and might it be? Might it be communicated? And if it's not, why not? And I, that sounds judgy, but I, I actually do think there is a, a lot is at stake, actually, in taking that question very, very seriously. I think public Christian persuasion is at stake in taking that question very, very seriously. Yeah, and to your, to your point, as we're sort of coming to an end here, and we could talk about this forever, uh, we actually do talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So to your point that the, the divide and conquer by Satan. So I have seen a rise, uh, especially dealing with COVID and vaccines and whatever. And I, I never make my opinion public on these matters. And I'm not going to now. Uh, but what I will say is, we all know what you think, Dale. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. It's the way <laughs> I come don't, off. It's, no, it's the don't. vibes I put off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, right. I've seen your beard. But, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. But like, I see, I see the phrase Christian witness sort of being uh, uh, mocked and scoffed and used as an instrument to batter people, good Christians like an emphasis on your Christian witness. And, you know, it's got like one capital letter, one small letter, one like Christian witness or like Romans 13, like Romans 13 means. And it, I, I want to ask some of these people, like you do realize that what you're saying, like you're mocking what God said. Uh, and that's not healthy. That's not a healthy thing to do. It's never a healthy thing. Now, I realize that they would push again. It's like, I'm not mocking what God said. I'm mocking the way that this person is using what God said. 
but the flippancy upon which we sort of grab a hold of these uh, time-tested Christian phrases and Christian Bible verses and the entire tradition that undergirds them, and that's yeah. the reason that they are popular phrases in the Christian religion, seems so dismissive that it's it seems like you're going out of your way to do everything to not be that. Like if 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 your if your relationship to the phrase Christian witness is something that makes you not appear as a Christian, then that is screw tape winning. Wormwood, he he's writing the letters to Wormwood for you as the patient going, make him mock this more. And he's sewing these layers of self-justifying mm. uh, lies inside of your mind to where you've actually believed that something that is good is evil and something that is evil is good. Yeah. So we don't want to flip our moral compass on its head just because of the cultural uh, context that we live in proudly stand on what the Christians have said throughout the ages and embrace all the scorn that you get when you try to love people that other people just don't find lovely or lovable. And I'm not saying we need to find them lovely or lovable. That's a wrong way to say it. What I am saying is your duty to them, your duty to your neighbor, I don't care who your neighbor is, is to love them. And you need to convince your neighbor that you're in the project of loving them. Yeah. And, and it, uh, we, oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say what, you know, maybe a, a kind of final thing to say there is I might add, yeah, it is true that you, people are not lovable on a certain register and yet God redeemed us because he loved us and he loved us because we were created you know, God's redeeming us is not the same as redeeming Coke bottles. He's redeeming something that is valuable, which is his image. And your neighbor is valuable to God. God loves your neighbor. And he shows that love to your neighbor or, or sometimes shows that love to your neighbor uh, th through you. And I think that's got to be a measure to some extent of how we need to be cultivated to view our neighbor and what I mean by that is, is uh, when we look at a human, it's not just, oh, I'm being a nice person by loving them. It's I'm doing something perfectly fitting, perfectly righteous. It's the summation of the law by loving that, that the, the whole cosmos in one sense, but especially that man in front of me. And here I'm reminded of uh, uh, Gandalf's conversation with Frodo, uh, you know, about mm. Gollum you know, because because Frodo sort of freaks out, like, why didn't Bilbo just get rid of Gollum? I was just reading it to my kids the other day. And there's this beautiful moment where Gandalf basically says he had compassion and the compassion of Bilbo may yet have the final word. He had mm -hmm. compassion on him because he detected there wasn't, there was something in him that wasn't fully gone. He wasn't yet an orc, something in him. And he says, I doubt that he'll be redeemed, but maybe there's kind of something worth redeeming in there. The last thing I think that I would want to emphasize is taking the strategy uh, of love is not taking the strategy of, you know, sitting on our high horses here and, you know, looking up all the apologetics ministries and going who about, you know, all the things that they're doing wrong or something like that. It likewise, I mean, if we're, if we're, internalizing the very things we talk about, what you do is you look at all these groups and you also see much good that they're doing. Yeah. Uh, you see what's going on that's beautiful and for Jesus. And, you know, maybe you think, okay, this could be tweaked in this way. You know, you don't, it, that doesn't mean that, you know, I have, I'm, I'm, we're going and camping out, uh, you know, at Tim Keller's church versus Doug Wilson's church, perhaps yes. the loving Christian heart uh, can love and be uh, <laughs> and be concerned about trajectories in both uh, yeah. because that is actually in, in the same way that wide vision toward I think the wider world so yeah yeah and I think as a last I'll say my last thing and then I'll take us out brother yep uh, unless you disagree with my last no thing then... no go ahead <laughs> have the last one uh, yeah so when we talk about vibes it's appropriate to talk about it if we understand that what we're what we're what we're trying to communicate is that human beings come across a certain way and Christians embody 
we have the spirit of the living God that dwells, takes up residence in us. We are the temple of God. We are a nation of priests. Uh, we are holy. And if we are sending those vibes, those signals into the world, uh, then that is something that we should all be striving for. We don't instrumentalize it, we don't abuse it, but we just recognize that the, the primary call to war against the kingdom of darkness in this world is love. That is our battle cry. We run into, we run into the battle and we sing and we talk and we preach and we embody what love is. And we get that from the embodiment of Jesus Christ. So just be Jesus. That's all we mean when we say <laughs> just act like Jesus. Uh, and we're trying very hard on, on, you know, the Pilgrim Faith podcast is a, Joe and I are just trying to be more and more like Jesus. And we invite you to take up that project because it's worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, good episode, brother. Uh, as always, head over to davenantinstitute.org. Uh, you can check out everything we're doing with Davenant Hall. Great classes coming up. I mentioned earlier in the podcast, Joe has a uh, course that he's teaching on apologetics. Um, we have our YouTube channel, so you can head over to Davenant Institute on YouTube and find all of our previous episodes. You can also go to iTunes or Spotify or any of the podcast catchers and catch up on any of the conversations. We have a Facebook group. Uh, if you'd like to join, it's the Pilgrim Faith Podcast. You can send a request and join the conversation, add your thoughts, uh, and we have a Facebook page. Um, so. All of that is available to everyone. Uh, Joe, I love you, brother. Love you too, man. Until next time, we will see, see you later. You.